Mindful Grooving. We're just a couple of performing arts nerds who put the team in STEAM and the STEAM in STEAM not STEM. Also, the extra M in STEAM for mindfulness. We're just some nice Midwestern girls currently based in Los Angeles, truly using the pod to stay in touch with all of our amazing maker friends, community members, and anyone who has insight on mindfulness, creativity, and how we meld the two. We also run a business together. We are a digital media communication consultant firm, which is just a fancy way of saying you can run us by the quarter to be your admin assistants with a whole lot of initiative, opinions, and a roadmap to the next phase of your business, organization, club, care. I don't know what this is yet, but it's cool and I love it. Thing, or whatever you have going on, and that you want to see grown and established. Any hoozles. On Mindful Grooving, we chatted up with either just us or oftentimes a special guest. Either way, each episode comes with its very own Mindful Groove. That's a custom exercise that's facilitated by us and our freaking fabulous buds. Come check us out every week on Thursdays. Yeah, Thursdays. We'll commit to it. Timeliness. We're working on it. <laughs> Come check us out when you want to shoot the breeze with us and let's groove, baby. Hey, hey, hey. Welcome to Mindful Grooving, a show where we're mindful and a show where we groove. I'm one of your hosts, Brittany freaking Harlan. And I'm another one of your hosts, Sarah freaking Meslinka. What's this dialect? Tell us where you're from today. Today I'm from, I think, I don't know. Great. This is just like my general southern accent. General. Oh, it did go more in a southern direction. It did. Okay. I don't know. I did it's have a moment today where I got called out for saying pop and not soda. They're just going to have to get the fuck over it. Like, let's just okay. like... I mean, it's a regional thing. If you're from where we're from, then you say pop, and then other people say soda. But what I'm particularly... <laughs> this is my... We're going to start with the, the top of the show rant. But what particularly is irksome to me is when people are like... You know those like fake fights that people have? It's like, I'm from over here, and we did it like this. In and out fucking sucks, and this doesn't. And it's like, okay... We can we could talk about more things. Like let's try harder to connect with each other. I don't know. Well, I put pickle on my hot dog. <laughs> come on, come on. I do. I, yeah, two hot takes. One, I prefer ketchup on my dog. Sorry. Second hot take. Which would make and now it's French fries. <laughs> Second hot take. In and out's French fries. Not very good. I don't Sorry. think that's a hot take. I think everyone just accepts that they're like not good. They're kind of what? like it's like biting into a like a thing of wet paper. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> like, where's your life? Where's your zest for life, Fry? You just gave no up. No amount of salt can correct that. Uh, yeah, but it's a thing. Like, you just gotta power your way through it, or not have French fries. And well, 
that feels lonely. Sorry, Sorry. West Coast. Yeah. Yeah. I try to just like go on Yelp because I feel like it, it was easier for me to find tacos in my Chicago hoods than over here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and today I wanted empanadas. So I'm like, all right, put it in Yelp. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, why the fuck does it take such effort? Like I tried to go to one. It was like not too far, but also like did it exist? I never saw it. I had to put another location in Yelp and then find it. And then I found this thing that was like just a bunch of kitchens and like little restaurants and they were all like uh, delivery and pickup only. It was like a little restaurant factory. I'm like, I want to go in here and cook stuff. Can, can I work here too? I want to cook Is stuff. it called, was on, is it by me? No. Because uh, there's a, but, there's like a, a spot like that over here by me that does that yeah yeah it's a whole thing yeah me and my my sister were looking at that kind of vibe because we be cooking so that was fun i have an empanada recipe well let's apply it so we could eat it yeah so i'll you know it's like top secret so i can't really reveal my um empanada on the pod it's mine I am starting a legacy. Oh, so you know you're continuing the 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 tradition then of like hoarding recipes. Yeah. And the only way to learn the recipe is by watching me and then like refining your taste buds by tasting my cooking every single time. I don't know if this is a blum a, a black American thing, but I don't actually know. But I do know not to like immediately jump into just uh stereotyping everyone by their ethnicity, but I'd be doing it just from observation. The like secret recipe thing is like more of my Latinx friend vibe because it's like they had to wait a gajillion years to get it from their like mom or whatever, and then they're like, Yeah, I've yeah, well, see, my abuela does get it. I mean, she doesn't keep secrets. If anything, my abuela just like does everything from memory. And so you just have to like watch her. And I know by taste, if I'm doing it correctly, if it tastes like hers, but she's- What about over the phone? Yeah, over the phone. I mean, she doesn't have like measurements. That's the other thing. No, but like you don't need to talk in measurements. Like I feel like when I was a- a young lass and I'm like oh shit I don't know how to make anything because they just made me be the prep cook so I'm like I don't even like how do you make yeah and it's like they didn't my mom wasn't like get a cup of it because like we don't no one does that unless you're like a kitchen blogger or something but it's like yeah just put enough so when a little bit of of this the the top secretness in my my grandmother my dad's mom she was like more hushity hush with her secrets and yeah so she had like uh like i think my i think it was her like uh, what was it potato salad recipe like Mm -hmm. (laughs) she did not want to give it to my mom she refused. It That's wasn't until shame. like yeah. I know until my like mom was like married for how many years, had the two kids, you know. Grandma Marie That's was not coughing it up. Yeah. So. Wow. Um, yeah. 
So I I, I don't know. At that it, point, it she should have like sat down and grabbed her grandma hand. It's like, don't you know that your worth uh, value to this family exceeds all of the delicious noms? Because sometimes mm-hmm. I low key feel like that's what it is. Like I feel like people don't want to give away recipes or like anything or even like teaching and stuff like industry stuff so they think their their powers are going to go away or that like people won't appreciate it or they'll just like run and take the info yeah i i mean it's complicated off the pot let's just like open up your entire (laughs) family history uh discover it's a nap you know it's it's complicated we have sarah's mom welcome yeah just kidding not this episode but one day maybe maybe terry would come on and have like a cocktail with us we could do like we could do like a sigo with my mom also we gotta do uh two separate things but like one with your parents and we got to answer relationship questions and then we'll answer relationship questions with um, my parents too because Ooh. we're a couple of freaks whose parents are still together. So I think we should share that. Yeah. And my mom certainly loves to give her um, relationship advice. So yeah. cool. I never got any relationship <laughs> advice. It was more like, don't give anyone head. No. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't start getting relationship advice until like recently. I think, I think my mom just assumed that like I was up to no good thing, you know? Filthy, filthy, filthy. Yeah. So promiss. Right? I mean, fun fact about Sarah, she had a curfew until like age of 22. So, you know, that's a thing. (laughs) That is a thing. So, speaking of Sarah's family, family. we interviewed one of these people. We did. We interview on this episode of Mindful Grooving, we interview my uncle Scott, also formerly known in the world as Dr. Scott Mislinski. And my phone locked, but I wanted to pull up his formal bio so I could tell you all. Um, a little bit more about my uncle. Um, He has his PhD in theology. Um, I've just always found him to be a really interesting guy and to get into like all sorts of conversations at every family party. Like he's that one uncle that you don't mind being trapped in the corner by because it's actually like thought provoking and interesting. Um, but he's currently a teacher at um, Loyola Academy, and um, he's on the pod. Anything else I should say? Pod. He's on. <laughs> no, I think we should say, put your hands together for freaking Scott Maslinski. Maslinka Maslinski, Maslinka Maslinski. Polish, a.k.a. Polish. Shout out. So. What are those? Are they called kolashkis, the cookies where it's like we put some apricot stuff in the middle and then you fold it and you fold it? I believe so. I'm a really bad Polish person. Um, <laughs> you bad Polish person. <laughs> but no, I think they are because my grandma lived right next to, because you know in Chicago, that area where it's like all the Polish bakeries, she lived right next yeah. to it and she would give me 
all the apricot galoshkis. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, that's not yeah. why we're here. It has nothing to do with what we're talking about. So, uh, uh, <laughs> give it up for Scott! Hey, hey, hey. Um, just, so, just, so, just so we can get going on the recording side. Not that we have to change our flow. What's going to happen when the clouds go away? What are we going to do? I mean, when I the wind comes... You. And oh, blow yeah. the clouds away. We're going to lose all of our information. We got to back up that cloud. Yes. <laughs> grounded. We got to be grounded. Yeah, got to. Got to be in both. <laughs> I have zero photos from that that event. It, I, was, I do. <laughs> I just remember it being so many people that I could like not walk around, and every time I would start a conversation with one person, that the other person would pull me away, and it was very um, disorienting. There was. There was a uh, um, a lady that I spoke with. She had a son that was there, like who oh, was Michelle. That's I remember Michelle that. Schaefer. Okay, and then I spoke to some guy who I don't remember. <laughs> a lot of the Chicago arts community that I've interacted with were there, plus like other people who I've just known from growing up. So I think he was one of your proteges. He was uh, he was he was tall. He was. Like my height, I think maybe not my height, but he was, you know, he was he was a big man for being a dancer. Oh, are you talking about Tony? Maybe I don't remember the names, but I, I think I spoke to him for a while. Yeah, I mean he, yeah, it was very hot in there, so who knows? Yeah. Who knows? <laughs> All right. Well, I think it'd be cool to start with uh, your story and how you came to be in this present moment and why philosophy why theology why why become a priest but then not become a priest and go into yeah so i've uh thanks for having me on i uh Brittany and sarah um i've listened to a few of your shows and i know you always ask your guests to start with their origin story yeah and i had to be honest with you, I've never heard of that being said, my origin story. So um, forgive me, I might have to look at my notes um, because <laughs> yeah. I'm an old guy and I want to get the dates right. And there's a For lot sure. to my story. So, so here goes. It all began about 14 billion years ago when I emerged out of nothingness. It was a really big event. Then about 4.5 billion years ago, I took on a new form. I was a bit spherical and plump, but not flat and ready to start circling the neighborhood. About a half billion years after that, I woke up to my surroundings and began to copy and replicate and imitate reality around me through movement and gestures. A lot happened after that, and I'll spare you the details, but around six million years ago, I left home. I left my tribe and went my own way. I thought I knew it all. Around 500,000 years ago, give or take a few hundred millennia, I found my voice. I began to graffiti my bedroom with posters of animals and such. I started to communicate with my parents who had died and my children who were yet to be born. And about 2000 years ago, I created a band 
called the Christians. We started out small and our leader had some pretty crazy ideas, but we eventually grew and became famous. There's some interesting stuff about us on the web. Then about 50 years ago, things started getting interesting. I started to rebel and dance to the beat of my own drum. I got married to someone in that band and we called ourselves the Society of Jesus. Or if you want our social media handle, the Jesuits. Then I began to party like it's 1999 and we had a separation. Since then, I've been teaching the young how to assume nothing and question everything to know their story and inhabit it. But most of all, I try to encourage them to look beyond themselves and to be open to laboring and giving birth to a sustainable future that offers hope and newness. So there's my story. Cool. That's my origin that's how you, story. That's how you read a bio, Sarah. <laughs> I was like, dang, taking notes. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> that's really cool <laughs> thanks i wrote it yeah, this morning we do actually i like it just this morning so to jump into a more specific part of that timeline if you don't mind whatever you know level openness of sharing what is your personal relationship because you know we talked about before yeah. all these different facets of death what's your personal relationship with death um, well, I guess just a little uh, comment about why I wrote that, why I read that as my story, mm. my origin story, because I really do. I wasn't trying to be cute or, you know, uh, <laughs> whatever. It, it, I really do believe that. I, I believe that, as Carl Sagan said a long time ago, that we are stardust. Um, and I try to remember that. So that's part of my story is to remember where I come from. I didn't just come from two parents who were living in Arizona who had uh, five other children before me. But in fact, mm -hmm. I originated much earlier than that um, in, in the Serengeti or in the, the middle part of Africa. And even prior to that um, from the Big Bang. So, you know, even though I, I read that, I had to think about what is my origin story and I can't I can't um, leave out the really important stuff of my origin story of where we all come from. Um, but so, yeah, uh, I, I grew up in Arizona. Um, I became a Jesuit, um, which for if your listeners aren't familiar with, um, they can watch an old movie called The Mission or another movie called The Black Robe. Um, very interesting uh, portrayal of the Jesuits, but it was it's basically a group within the Catholic Church. Um, of men, unfortunately, just men, um, who are going to become priests. And um, after some time, 1999, when I was partying, uh, I left the Jesuits. And so since then, so over the last 22 years, I have uh, um, been teaching at a high school in the north part of Chicago called Loyola Academy, um, teaching philosophy, ethics, and theology. Um, and a part of that story is about death, about dying. So that's why one of my favorite um, lines uh, is, you know, to philosophize is to learn how to die. Mm -hmm. 
So that's a bit of my particular origin story, but I don't want to get too far away from our story, our origin story. Mm, right. Very cool. Yeah, I'm going to try to ask more uh, philosophers their origin story, <laughs> because you do, like, especially like in the art uh, and especially art administration world, they're like, give us a bio, give us a blurb, give us 50 words about yourself, you know, connected to what you're doing. And so you're very, you know, it's nice to, I guess, keep track track of time and to keep yourself accountable as a, as a creator, but yeah, it's nice to be able to zoom way, way out. How far in the How are you able? <laughs> like, yeah, my question is, how are you able to be able to zoom all the way out and know the entirety of your being while still showing up as a human? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it takes mindfulness. That's why I love the title of your your podcast, this mindful mm -hmm. grooving, um, because I, I have to constantly remind myself where I come from or not, then I my ego takes over. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I to be particular, I start getting upset with my students, my high school students. Mm -hmm. Why didn't you turn in your work? Uh, why didn't you? Uh, yeah, you know, it's a reflection of me. What are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so, really, it's my ego talking. And so, mm -hmm. I have to remember to place my ego in check um, as I'm going through the grind. And that's hard. I mean, life is life is a grind. Um, but, <laughs> Indeed. Yeah, but um, if we look at life more as as uh, as change or as movement, as growth, because grind sort of the notion of grind sort of uh, implies like a machine. And I think we have in our Western society, a Western civilization, uh, we worship the gods of the machine. Um, and that's that's a little scary or what I think is dangerous, especially for, I mean, me, my, my own psychological life, <laughs> my own psychic life, <laughs> my own spiritual life, but yeah. for our planet too. So trying to be mindful always of when my ego is speaking and when myself, my true self is not speaking, um, and um, maybe when I'm disconnected from nature, from from our, our one another, I have to get outside. So often, yeah. so often the answer to the question, the problem. It's yeah. yeah. What a what a hike will do for you. Even in when I was living in Chicago and the burbs, it would be the dead of winter, and I would walk through the forest on the ice, and I'm like, nope, still need to be outside unfortunately, even though it's 10 degrees. Yeah, I, I really miss, because uh, I lived in Southern California as well. So I miss Arizona, mm -hmm. I miss Southern California, um, but you can still find the beauty here in mid-January outside in Chicago. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Missing the vibe the there. <laughs> I never took those walks. So I, ne I don't know why I've never done that. I've never... Uh, Gotta walk through the frozen forest, man. <laughs> through a frozen forest. I mean, maybe taking a drive and yeah. going through the forest preserve in that That's way. That's practical. But yeah, now living out here, now I'm like actually connecting with nature, and I never, I never did that in Chicago. Well, if you do, I mean, if you come back out come here, out go out season. there. Yeah, right. You need to. And Elsa, yeah. Elsa might appear, you know, the, in, the, in the forest, frozen. 
unrelated. I had a gig back in back in the Chicago teaching artist days at a studio, and uh, they hired me to be Elsa for a birthday party. They bought me the dress, but then they they forgot to get a wig, so I was like, brunette. you're just like dark brown Elsa. <laughs> yeah, and I, and I had to create this story that Elsa was just going through a phase and wanted. <laughs> To her okay hand. but here's the thing like all princesses are dope and fun and girls love them why don't these companies just create their own stories about who these princesses are you could be made into a princess there's a princess from all the countries like you don't have to it doesn't have to be this like oh my god they put a pacific island princess. like yeah yeah get all of them in there be your own all right, princess. that's what we're gonna do after sarah we're gonna write thirty princess stories. You gotta be your own like princess. It. It'll be a series. You can buy the box set. Of oh, nice! Stories. I'll be the first the one to buy it. <laughs> um, <laughs> and they'll be like, "What's a box set?" But <laughs> Good. Um, so, go ahead. oh, you're about to. No. Okay. No. <laughs> I was just gonna ask, coming back to separating, or just having the discernment of knowing if you're speaking from a place of ego or self what tools have you come to use for yourself to be able to decipher between the two um, ideally before you put it out into the world yeah you know one of the things Brittany is that I, I again I think and especially in the United States we've lost the classics um in a way, I think it's good that we lost the classics because they were mostly white men speaking <laughs> about things that were <laughs> classic. Yeah, and, and we need to hear from women of color and um, all I mean, kinds the of women voices. of color are super classic as well. Absolutely. But yeah, what do you yeah. what do you mean when you say the class? Like, what well, what classics have we lost? Yeah, well. I think just the classics in general, just thinking, but to be more specific for me, it was always Plato and Aristotle, um, mm. the Buddha, even though the Buddha wasn't a white Western man. Um, but we use these yeah. sort of texts that um, we look to the uh, Rene Descartes, um, Montesquieu, uh, Immanuel Kant. Um, and we look to them as being inspirational and help me open my mind. Uh, open my my heart to the world um, and to see life much more for what it is which is making connections with one another um, rather than trying to know some that's why I think there's a difference between philosophy like in the academy like in the university and philosophy as a, a way of living um, yeah so I, I think recovering philosophy as a way of living, regardless of what culture it's from, I mean, whether it's from, you know, Confucius, Confucius in the East, um, or, or, or any other place that connects us back to our origins, um, I mm -hmm. think that's what grounds me. That's what helps me to, to check my ego. Um, so I guess I need to qualify that a little bit, that um, the classics are wisdom literature. Um, yeah. So Ecclesiastes from, from the Jewish tradition. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, everything is passing. Um, everything is transient. And so let's try to hold on to one thing, which is wisdom or, or one another. Right. 
So what I'm hearing is one of the tools or maybe just one of the values that you've developed to create that discernment is just having a foundation yeah. within yourself, just sticking yeah. to a foundation, which, which I agree. I can only relate it. I'm only a teaching artist. Um, so I just relieve people for two hours or so at a time of the kids. But when we do work together and when I'm being told to teach these dance genres, which of course uh, stem in foundation and technique, it's like you have to to like get on the boat at TikTok and just slowly paddle <laughs> your way back. It's like, I promise, like it's relevant. Like you'll see where it comes from and then you'll be able to make up a gazillion TikToks. Like we'll get there. <laughs> but yeah, I would I would have to agree. I don't know if we even have as a people the same kind of standard or maybe list of what the the classics or what the right. foundation what the foundations are. Yeah, that's why I think, you know, over the last, um, and again, I'm talking from terms of the letters, you know, like the texts, reading of the texts. Yeah. Um, and, and over the last 20 years, those classics of the Western world have been challenged um, mm -hmm. by, again, people of color, by, um, by LGBTQ community, um, mm -hmm. by uh, different parts of the world than Europe you know, it's not Eurocentric, but even extending that to art and you're bringing in the question of art, um, I mean, that can be very foundational as well. It hasn't been as much for me, but I, I, I show images of, uh, to my seniors, images of the, the drawings on the walls of uh, Lascaux and Chauvet Cave in, in France, you know, that were 30,000 years ago, 50,000 50, years ago the arts on the walls um, and how that can be grounding as well. So we do a little meditation in class where I ask everybody just to be quiet, put away their iPads, if you have iPads, get away, you know, everything. Yeah, it's like severing them, severing one of their arms, where I tell them put their iPad away. Um, and let's watch this, this video that will uh, be in a cave in which we'll pass through some artwork that shows a buffalo, um, you know, turning into uh, a human. And what is that eliciting? What, what sort of grounding does that bring us? So I agree with you, Brittany, that you have to have some sort of a grounding. And I think it's either in, in, the, in the text um, or in a dance, uh, in, in music. Um, and it has to stand the test of time. I don't know if everything, I, I have a little uh, um, bias towards what I think is art. Um, some of my students who are great, uh, gadflies they push me or they're just being sophists they're just being a bunch of little <laughs> they're like oh anything can be art so i'm gonna splatter you know this uh, ink on the wall and that's art yeah yeah what i like to say in response to those yeah in response to the like oh anything could be anything it's like okay maybe you're the type that like would look to something like avant-garde jazz to be like do you anything i'm just like okay but do you realize that these people went through knowing the foundation getting all of the rules getting all the information so that they can then decide <laughs> to be like forget everything yeah it's not because they couldn't <laughs> they just never learned so they just went wild like it was a decision they had to all go through. the information that they had yeah yeah, they go through really the foundation. 
Yeah, that's yeah. a really important uh, distinction is that they had the information and then they made a choice with the information. And I think, I mean, that that's what you're teaching your students, right? You're teaching them to, what you said, what did you say? Assume nothing and question everything. Yes. And then, you know, I'm thinking the philosopher, your favorite philosopher that inspired this whole conversation that what, what was your, the quote, uh, philosophy is. Yeah. Is learning how to die. And it's not my, how to die. It's not yeah, that's favorite. not my favorite philosopher because, um, you know, because that even goes back to the Romans, back to Cicero. It even goes back to Plato or Socrates when Socrates was on his deathbed, um, you know, because he was stirring up the pot in, in, the, uh, in the forum in Athens. And, you know, they said, hey, you know, you're, you're corrupting the youth. Drink this hemlock. Or, uh, well, they didn't say that. They said either, you know, denounce what you said or um, go to prison. And Socrates is like, no, forget it. I can't denounce the truth. And so he drinks the hemlock. But there's this, this notion of, um, by Plato, as he writes this story, um, that really life is change. Mm -hmm. And to deal with change is to, um, to learn to go through it, to yeah. pass through it. Um, now, all your philosophy uh, um, nerds that are listening are like, well, you're kind of mixing things up here got a little bit well yeah but we all do we all do take the tradition and then we make it our own so that it can apply to our life um yeah but we have to learn to, to shed ourselves kind of like the snake that sheds its skin right um yeah. become something new i mean that's for in the christian tradition that's the resurrection you're shedding the old so that you can become the new yeah well i was thinking i've been thinking personal in my personal space you know, what is happiness, and then even questioning, like, what healing is. Um, yeah. think, trying to be a little bit more objective now, especially thinking, um, you know, the mainstreamness of what healing is potentially becoming, and, and, and trying to come back into this grounding element of healing on the on the individual level, and not just silencing my mind or calming my mind, um, but trying to uh, really form this relationship with with myself in this more um, personal. I, I don't know how to describe it, but just really trying to be more objective in, in, in these decisions that I'm making. Um, well, I think to, to help that too, for me, I mean, again, this is, this is what helps me. The second point for to Brittany's earlier question of, you know, what, what grounds me besides the classics or, you know, wisdom literature is a community. So it's those mm -hmm. two things. And that's why I really appreciate you both creating this community on podcasts because we're all searching for connectedness. And I think we find ourselves not in isolation, but in, in relation to others. Yeah. Um, the Christian God is, is actually a relationship. Um, it's, it's not a being that's out there. It's not a thing that's out, out, that's out there like an object floating in the sky. It's, it's relationship. Um, and I think even the Jewish tradition and, and many other the traditions I can point to, mm -hmm that the higher being the the source or the grounding of us is relationality yeah 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 well, i definitely felt that throughout my 
time being a person who's gone in and out of religiosity. It's like you keep the relationship and that's that's your through line, like no matter what it might look like to the outside or the community. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's right. If the community just stays stagnant and doesn't grow like new shoots on a tree, right? And so when you leave a community, hopefully, you know, there's been something of life that's been drawn from that, but then you go your own way and perhaps a new branch is being formed. New communities are being, um, are, are growing from that, emerging from that. That's how I see the great, great world traditions coming from some, some basic stock and then emerging out of, with various branches. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But there's a great movie that I, I love. I show my seniors, it's called The Way. Um, and it, uh, it stars uh, Emilio Estevez and um, uh, his father, um, Martin Sheen. And uh, Martin Sheen's character is on a journey, a life journey, basically. And um, without giving any, you know, spoiler alert, although this is 10 years old, this film, um, it's beautiful to watch, is there's a point where he's talking to a gypsy in Spain and um, he tells, the, the character's name is Tom, he tells this gypsy, oh, I'm not a spirit, I'm not a religious person. And the gypsy tells Tom, it's not about religion. It's about something else. And when he is learning about himself and he's shedding his own religious identity, um, he has to go through a cathedral. He, he thinks that the end point is in the cathedral, but he actually has to go through it to the edge of Spain, off to the Atlantic Ocean, where the ultimate point is. It's, it's this beautiful scene where he's going through the tradition. Um, going through the fundamentals, like probably like some of your students, right? Dancers, they have to know the fundamentals. You have to go through this and then you emerge out someone new. Definitely. So I'm curious about the, the Scott pre-deciding to study philosophy and the post Uh-oh. What do you what would you say is the main difference between those two? Can you repeat your question, Brittany? It cut out. Okay. So my basic question was what was uh Scott, do you remember the difference between kind of pre-studying being interested in philosophy and post kind of more foundational? What would you say the main difference that you remember between the two are? Yeah, I uh, became a different person. Um, I was very parochial before, very parochial, very narrow-minded. Um, I was in my, my own world, my own head, um, filtering everything as, as um, a pre-philosopher, pre-theologian, pre-sort of uh, um, my pre-Jesuit days. Um, I, it, was, it was what was in front of me. It was the tradition that I was told um, from my parents. Um, and uh, it was just very narrow. And I had my prejudices, I had my prejudges, judgments. Um, I sort of secretly knew everything about everything, you know, um, which I think we all do. But then as I was introduced to um, new ways of being, new ways of thinking, uh, I was being reborn in a way. Um, 
I uh, entered the Jesuits. Um, I was 25 and uh, I was the Jesuit for four years. During that time, I had the opportunity to live with the Lakota Sioux people in South Dakota. Um, I worked in Hollywood, uh, the hospital there, which I can't remember on West Hollywood with a lot of AIDS patients, um, addicts, uh, prostitutes. Um, and I learned a lot about myself as I was learning to be loved by them in their own way uh, in the hospital. Um, I worked with gang members in Compton and East LA with uh, Father Greg Boyle. There's a little shout out there to uh, Homeboy Productions and Father Greg yeah. Boyle who, who works out there. Um, and so I had an opportunity to work with him, um, going to Mexico, all of those experiences which I was so privileged to have because, you know, people who are struggling to even, you know, finish high school don't have those experiences. So I'm not like dissing uh, the experiences that people have of just living in their own right. Or being like, just go to several. Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah, your experience I though. Yeah. I can't, that was my experience. And yeah. I came out of my cave. So, and I think people come out of their caves in their own way. So you can live in a neighborhood for like your whole life. And if you're open to it, you know, with, with, the trauma or with the joys that you have within a small community, you can emerge as a new person and see the world differently and see your neighborhood differently. Yeah, definitely. What called you to want to become a Jesuit? Um, serendipity. <laughs> uh, it, it just, it, it, it just rolled that way. I mean, I traditionally, I was a traditionally Catholic, my, you know, last name is Slinsky, Polish. And so my Catholicism and my Polish and Slovak, my mom's side, my Eastern European self was intertwined. There, there wasn't much difference between being Polish and being Catholic. Um, and I was just intrigued by, by the stories that I would hear in mass you know, during the services. I was intrigued in the myths of, and I say myths in a larger way, not like like uh, the fantasies, although some people may think that religious, like some of my students, we, we, we talk about the, the new atheist movement, um, that it's all sort of, uh, it's fantasy, it's Star Trek stuff. Um, but I mean myth in a real sense that the myth that emerges from a story. Mm -hmm. uh, the myth of that this bread is turning into a body, um, that this wine is turning into a blood. Um, all of that just fascinated me. And so um, I was moved not just intellectually to know what the stories were about, but also by the heart, the tactile side. Um, I mean, here's these men walking to the altar and there's where they're wearing these flowing dresses, you know, they're, they're uh, getting ready for mass and it looks like you're, you know, living a thousand years ago um, with incense and, and, and choirs and and so I was just intrigued. And then I felt also a call to, to serve the poor, um, reading about uh, the lives of uh, people like St. Francis of Assisi or um, St. Teresa of Avila, um, Martin de Porres. And these are folks that lived hundreds of years ago and they were with the people who were, were the marginal of society. And that moved me as well. I remember having a conversation with my dad and. You know, my dad uh, just had a, a high school diploma and struggled like, you know, a lot of the old stories we hear about, oh, our grandfather struggled. Uh, and I told my dad, you know, 
I want to live with the poor. I want to give everything up and live with the poor. And he just kind of laughed at me. But I think it was it wasn't he was a mean person or a closed-minded person. It just sounded strange to him. But I think those those three things moved me. Okay. And so and and, and the, the natural way to to make that happen for me was to to check out like a religious life within the yeah. church. Yeah. So I was just gonna because I think about whenever I have a religious conversation and it's interesting because when I have it, you know, intergenerally, like intergenerationally, uh, it's usually fine. It's when I talk to people my own age who have um, a beef with it because a lot of them were raised in it and then maybe just college happened or maybe trauma within yeah. the institution happened. Yeah. And then there's a, and then there's a, fragment and they keep their relationship which is what matters but then their relationship with the community is all but just not there to the point where it's affecting you know ability to connect with other members of just their population their community the new friends and and relationships so my question is what do you feel are some sort of mending or healing practices that people can, that people have been affected in a negative way by the yeah, institution for whatever reason? How could they mend that and reconcile it with their, with their connection? Now, I know this is a cliche because it's been said for a long time. Oh, think of a, a mm -hmm. community like a family, you know, mm -hmm. that our, our, all of our families are, are dysfunctional and broken. And so are, you know, churches, um, religious yeah. communities they're all broken um and for me and i really think that when someone finds that a community is that they're not drawing from the well the well has gone dry in that community or the well has produced poison so you're drinking poison and you're 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 affected and there's trauma there i think leaving is is healthy i think leaving and healing is healthy. Um, I don't think those, you know, those scars will ever be healed over because we are, we, we carry everything from our uh, our past life. Um, but I think that those scars can actually become beautiful uh, tattoos. Um, I think they can turn into something beautiful. I think about, again, in East LA, when I was working with Homeboy Productions, they have tattoo removals. And many of the gang members, the former gang members would say that these are their, their beautiful tattoos now and they're the scars from the removal. Um, and then finding a new community. So I think at times people who, who leave their community, it's scary, first of all, because you're out on your own or it could be invigorating. It could be, yeah. this is great, I'm free, finally. I'm out of the home, I'm off to college, you know. But I think both of those um, could lead down to some other traps, like doing it alone. I don't need any community. I'm gonna do this myself and I'm gonna create my own sort of um, uh, vision of the world, you know? And the, but then you're sort of an echo chamber, you're speaking to yourself and maybe to your ego. The other danger is possibly falling into a community that is, uh, that is luring you in. Um, and I think of like cults or something like that, or, or just yeah, dysfunctional, yeah. 
secular, you know, let's, let's go to the community. Performing block. arts community. <laughs> <laughs> People who like to just lure you in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think it's interesting. Cause yeah. Brittany and I talk all the time about, you know, just our experiences growing up and our relationships with the church. Yeah. I mean, we, I don't really have conversations with many people about it. So I think I, it's just, I don't know. It's just one of those things. You don't really talk about politics. Now we're realizing people's relationship with getting a vaccine, like these sort of uh, quote unquote taboo or uncomfortable conversations. Yeah. I always, I just find it interesting when we talk, especially our relationship with um, coming into our own creativity and Brittany, you can speak obviously mm -hmm. to your own experience, but Brittany talks about the connection of community outside of um, the religious um, receptions ceremony process, you know, her taking dance classes, whereas I, we, I had, I remember going to, you know, Sunday school and just really hating it. I never, mm -hmm. I never liked any part of being in church and it wasn't necessarily because it was what was being discussed but I just like couldn't engage and I found my I was like cool we don't have to go anymore awesome <laughs> this is great um that's a common <laughs> kind of vibe it's like kids don't want to get up and go to school and then they're yeah. like oh the weekend I, I mean yeah. how are you going to contain their ADHD I mean I'm not I don't mean that <laughs> but <laughs> seriously you can't put kids that that's what's happened to institutions they become they become uh, reified or solidified or ossified, and then they don't work anymore. So I have a lot of critique with with religious education classes for eight-year-olds talking about like Noah's Ark. What the hell does that mean for an eight-year-old? They're like animals. They'll love it. And they've been very preschool minds. Yeah. They've been sitting in chairs in school for you know six, seven, eight hours, and then they have to go sit in chairs again. You know, mm -hmm. at nighttime, no, it, it doesn't work. So right. I think it needs to it needs to crash and burn, but then be reborn again. Um, what are your thoughts? Know, what could it look like in the future after we're like, all right, let's just shake this at your sketch and try it again. Like, what do you what do you? Well, see? first of all, first of all, um, and, and to mm -hmm. a point that Sarah said earlier that we we have these taboo conversations about politics and religion, mm -hmm. right? Or, or money, politics, and religion, which was my family, too. Um, but we did find out over the summer, over the last four years in the United States, and you know January 6th, that we have to talk about politics. Um, and, and There's a reason to, why it's taboo. <laughs> That's yeah. ingrained and, into the system. You have to talk about it. Yeah, and I tell my students, we're going to have necessary spaces not safe spaces but we have to have necessary spaces and necessary conversations brave spaces yeah yeah but they're not just brave too but they're necessary we, we've got to get into this and so you know um and i'm going to let them talk uh, anyways I, and I think religion is another place that has to be a, a necessary brave space too um because yep. i think we are fundamentally religious people just like we are fundamentally artistic people um, and I don't see art and religion being too far apart. I, I see them. That's why, that's why I referenced the caves in, in Chauvet, um, or in Lascaux. Um, you look at the stained glass windows in a church and you look at the art on these caves 
um, from our earlier ancestors. And I think you're staring into to divinity um, yeah. because we're staring back into ourselves. You watch some dancers. When I, the, the times that I've been at some of your dances back here in Chicago, your performances, I was staring into divinity as divinity was, was, was trying to emerge. Mm. Wow. He should have wrote uh, the reviews. <laughs> yeah. but, but if we don't have these conversations, that, that would drop. <laughs> that, that sort of review would just drop. They, you know, someone hears right. like divinity and they're like, oh, is this Right, like they're like, I don't know her, yeah. But, <laughs> I, <laughs> but I think it's interesting because, okay, it's not obviously, you know, when I'm, we're creating a piece, at least I'll speak from my lens. I'm not thinking about divinity. I'm thinking about, uh, I'm thinking of relatability. I'm thinking about yeah. um, this story transcending into the individual being. So, um, and that's, that's what I mean yeah. in my language of divinity. It's, yeah. it's relationship. Right. Yeah. It's emerging it's something it. new. Yeah, uh, yeah, I don't think, you know, in the Christian tradition, I don't think when Jesus was hanging there on the cross, all bloody, he was thinking about divinity, but divinity was emerging. And I don't think the Buddha, when, when you know, the pre-Buddha, when his handle was Siddhartha Gautama, he was sitting underneath a tree, you know, thinking about the birds that he was thinking of enlightenment or nirvana. Right. Um, it, it sort of emerged. Yeah. Um, you know, Sarah, about, I mean, your, your Spanish side, you got some Spanish in you of, of the flamenco, right? The flamenco yeah. singers as their strong, and the dancers, they're not playing to some sort of, um, you know, a sheet music there. They're, they're transcending. Yeah. Um, they're saying Allah, 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 right? Ole, 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 which is Allah, 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 which is my God, my God, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I guess that answers sort of just briefly is how I see mm -hmm. Brittany, how I see what would look anew, what would what would be new if we were to to sort of invert our our understanding of what it means to be religious. If we can invert that, I think mm -hmm. some of that would be some glimpses of the new. Maybe I'm speaking wrong. Right. Maybe I'm a heretic, but I think that that's... I mean no, they're just ideas, and I think that's the that's the cool part. I for one think that if you switch the as beautiful as the architecture is I think a complete reimagining of what the and not just a huge mega church versus a you know a cathedral it's like what does it look like when we what if the location is the dif different every single time and there isn't a specific day of the week and there isn't this person standing up here and then this person standing behind them here and then these people face it it's like the whole just body architecture as well of it. It's like, what if we're moving the entire time? How does that change? Yeah, I mean, you have to have the space for that. So imagine a church. And I'm sure a lot of our, you know, the listeners could, could imagine a church, whether they stepped in a church only once or drove by it. But mm -hmm. maybe church would be part of the service. Some people would be inside listening to a message, a word. Again, I'm a person mm -hmm. of words, but then outside there'd be people dancing. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, if in Chicago, it'd be a little tough, but uh, in oh, January, we'd have to move they would make it work. Yeah. <laughs> they would make They're it. always making a dance party work. <laughs> yeah, instead of localizing it in one place. I mean, and, and yeah. then I think that's where the religious folks, the, the theologians, the quote unquote mm -hmm. professional 
theologians can learn from artists. You know, mm -hmm. what, what works for dancers? You know, what works right. and, and where is the transcendent emerging? Well, that's interesting because I grew up deeply in the church. Oh, it's kind of like every family member had a thing they were doing and it was on denominational. Um, and then my sister, she helped the lead the dance ministry. There was someone leading it and then she led alongside. There were like different, you know, maybe like two different age groups or whatever. But I didn't realize because the person leading it, they were like this ex-modern dancer. And then they were like, yeah, this is a retired professional modern dancer. So we were just kind of straight up learning modern. But then when we uh, kind of peeled back on the technique, and she didn't use any of this language, but like my dance student brain is like, oh, we're learning improv. Um, she was the first person to teach me improv. And the only prompt was like, don't move until you're called to move. And so mm -hmm. in that, she taught us how to somatically communicate with the divine, which is a really convenient and wonderful tool that I tried <laughs> to, you know, sneak into lesson plans and you know, get other people to feel because a yes. lot of, you know, what people see on videos of people dancing, professional dancing, they're like, oh, I can't do all that. And I'm like, no, that's not the point. It was yeah. on stage for like 300 years. And all the time before that, it was for us to communicate with each other. Yes. Yeah. And then feel, but, to feel. Yeah. To feel the right. vibes, as people would say, but really, literally, yeah. to feel those. And, and collaborate and respond to them it's like we're moved by music and there are different types of music and social dance music that your brain is not thinking like oh it's salsa time I guess I got it like no you just are in it yeah <laughs> and like getting yeah and that's and the that's the that's the deconstructing I think is so it's just not in the mind like you, you keep saying or you, you mentioned right okay. even right. art has has been Art has been co-opted by this sort of uh, this modern in philosophy, modernism coming out of the Enlightenment, 16th century um, of let's look at every little technique and um, and there's a place for it. Right. Yeah. But again, if it's being crowded out by the mind, by by reason, I think and that it's a sport. <laughs> Well, was just, there many like athletic artists but keep going yeah there <laughs> i was just reading an article earlier today um you know my background is in dance science so i'm i'm reading this research paper and again it's about well-being and how dance is used to achieve well-being and uh the article was centered around people with parkinson's and um you know their self-image, self-worth, and they use like a body appreciation scale. And to get all through the bits and bobs of what this research was, it was like, oh, dance elicits well-being, like a sense of well-being within an individual. Like we don't need research. Like how much money say, on that yeah. research could have been used to field dance enrichment yeah. programs? Like, okay. yeah, so or like <laughs> any sort of enrichment program, but yeah. Yeah, and maybe for the pay people our that artists. need the research. Yeah, so it's And maybe just, pay our artists a little uh, living wage. Yeah, so it's- Yeah, not, that'd be cool. <laughs> so I guess I'm saying all this because I'm thinking we put this lens of like the arts within, especially at least in research now in the scientific, the science of well-being, but then what is well-being if it's not mindfulness or some sort of uh, grounding within in making a connection to a higher power. If, 
I mean, that, yeah. that to me yeah. is like my, I don't consider myself religious, but I would say I'm spiritual and my spirituality yeah. comes with from, you know, grounding within myself. And, and when I'm dancing, like yeah. we just had a session last Friday where we, honestly, we were going to do some more choreographic stuff, but we just danced for like two hours and played around and it body felt, wouldn't allow it. It's like, and yeah, it, yeah. That's and it would, but it was such a, it was such a spiritual experience. I felt super connected to Brittany. I felt super connected to myself. <laughs> I was like, this just feels so, so good. And I'm thinking, dang, this yeah. would be, if everybody could have this sort of experience, like that's it. the outcome, you know? Yeah, but it would take like. Keep going. No, that that is religious too. If you look at the word religion, right? It's Latin religio to link back. Ligio is a is a is a is a rubber band is a league like a league of nations, right? To link back to the community, and that's what you yeah. were doing. You were you were yeah. being religious. Well, a community of practice. Yes. Is fueled by is what builds a community of practice is a. Uh, my thesis on this is a you know a person's basic psychology psychological needs their sense of autonomy their sense of competent competence and then um relatedness their ability yeah. to connect with the individual yeah so and i hope and i hope a recognition of failure too because mm -hmm. failure is where we learn to grow yeah, <laughs> you know yeah. our once again our wounds are not something to be hidden over or our, our, our misstep um, is something to be hidden or to be ashamed of. Um, I think that can merge something, something new again. Um, and, I, and I think, you know, sometimes when, when science and art come together, uh, it can be something beautiful if, if it's reciprocal. Oftentimes in my sort of simple readings of, of science and art or the relationship between the two, it's a little paternalistic from the science side. It's like, yeah. how I'm will gonna, it benefit STEM? <laughs> yes, and how is it going to benefit you and me? And rather than just let it be, let it be. Right. And maybe I, the science, can learn something from the misstep. I, yeah. I from this this space of clear reasoning, rationality. That maybe there's something else that I can learn. Um, I can learn from the person who is um, who's in front of me, uh, you know, and maybe who who's struggling with health issues. And I'm the teacher, but I'm actually now the student. There's been a reversal where the student becomes the teacher and the teacher becomes the student. Um, the person who is, you know, who's struggling with um, maybe physical movement. But now they're the ones who are moving and the, and the dance instructor is the one who is, who's learning to, to be still. Um, another movie, a uh, shout out is, uh, it's a French one. It's mm -hmm. called uh, Les Intouchables, um, The Untouchables, Les Intouchables. You know, about a, uh, a, a, yeah, a man who is uh, a quadriplegic and he is a French white man, very wealthy. And he needs some, he needs a caretaker. Oh. And he's a white male Christian, although you don't see the Christian, but you sort of assume that from the French background. And then the male caretaker that he gets is a, a black man from Senegal who is probably because a lot of Senegalese are Muslim. 
and and there's a scene where uh, his name is Driss. Um, Felipe is the uh, is the man in the wheelchair, and um, you know Driss. Uh, Felipe is Felipe is uh, is used to uh, this very classical music that's very one two three one two three one two three, and Driss turns on some. Uh, you know, some, some pop music and he starts dancing and he's moving and he's got some great moves. And it's just very fascinating to see him dancing. He's the, he's the underdog, you know, he's the powerless one. And yet now he's the one with movement and Philippe is the one who doesn't have the power. So it's just beautiful to see the, the, the overturning. I think I've seen this movie. Do do they, um, yeah, to check it out. Is there like a scene where they're, they're in a car speeding and then yeah. like they pretend that he's like, like, go to the hospital? That he yeah. needs to go to the hospital just to get out of the ticket? It's the beginning scene and the ending scene. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't, we didn't finish the movie, but Nick and I were watching it maybe about a month ago. <laughs> but there's so much to see from that, to, to see yeah. power structures. Learning to, to learn from the structures of weakness. Um, and I think that's where power is. Power lies in weakness. Um, power lies sure. in failure. Yeah, I wanted to take not too much of a left turn, but uh, when you spoke on weakness, I thought about the times where I was to be transparent. Lost you again, Brittany. I think we just need to let the internet catch up. Technology. Okay. Technology. Can you repeat your question or your thought? Can you hear me? Yes. Okay, cool. But yeah, I was just talking about how um, to speak personally it's not until I'm at, I don't want to say low point, but it's at my kind of deepest end <laughs> before the blow um, of where I am mentally, because I kind of have to go down there, whatever down there is in order to figure something out. Whereas I have my more, uh, I'm going to get up at the same super early time every day and get all this good stuff. Like I don't have money breakthroughs in those modes because I'm kind of just it's almost like I'm taking the energy of what I uh, discovered down here and then now I'm just kind of functioning off of it and then I go back down here for more information if that makes any sense to speak on your you know finding yeah. kind of true yeah. power and weakness yeah and I don't I don't want to glorify that either because that's that's pretty crazy start glorifying <laughs> weakness um right, but right. I think it, in my experience of of times of darkness times of like feeling like and it's horrible right we, we all recall being in these moments of darkness psychological physical darkness and i think it's a time to sit and just listen or to look um and and nothing will become clearer until perhaps later meaning the next day the next yeah. year um <laughs> the next decade uh yeah. you know the universe forgives <laughs> And for those people who are more 
you know, people who suffer from chronic depression, who have depressive episodes, things like that, and people who have suicidal, you know, ideation tendencies. Not that we're speaking from, you know, a professional healthcare place, but just in your personal opinion, when people are finding themselves in that place, uh, just what are your thoughts on? Because I think about their relationship with death and how sometimes death is uh, maybe misconstrued as the answer to whatever it is that they're seeking. So what are your, what are your thoughts on it? And what do you think um, as far as getting to know your relationship with death? Like what are, what have been some moments or thoughts that you've known to be true? Yeah, that, I mean, that brings us all the way back from the beginning, right, to my question or my, my comment or my, my favorite quote about death. And we can look at death in many ways. I think now we're talking real uh, sort of uh, a physical, um, you right. know, a, a getting rid of myself, um, whereas prior I've been speaking sort of lofty and a lofty way mm -hmm. of, oh, just learning to change. Death has changed. But I I don't see those as being very different. If we understand that we have a, an inner world that's connected to our outer world, um, mm -hmm. that, that there are tendrils or there's strings that, that are connecting both our inner and our outer, our psychic and our spiritual, our physical and our mental, that we're all connected, that, that we're all one. Um, and that the connectedness is even outside in a community. Um, the only time that I can find strength in my weakness is if I can share my weakness and be transparent with someone, um, yeah. with a therapist, with with some a professional, with even if it's not as 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 dire um, or as as it's all serious. It's all serious because it's all about life, um, mm -hmm. suicide ideation. Uh, it could be talking to a therapist it could be talking to my best friend my wife my children um anybody but to finding that i'm not alone that that we're all in this together um and that's where i find that the weakness becomes strong mm -hmm. and so we try to do this for every time we have a guest at least so we do a mindful groove and yeah. which you kind of pick your own uh, exercise thoughts prompt to facilitate and uh, share with the community. So do you well, have something you'd like to share on that today? I do. Thank you. Thank you for awesome. allowing me to offer this um, for you. It's, it's called Lexio Divina. It's, uh, I know I've been throwing around a lot of strange, <laughs> um, it's Latin <laughs> for, for divine reading. Um, and it has its roots way back, way back, you know, uh, 25, 26, 2700 years ago in the Jewish tradition of praying the Psalms. Um, uh, it also has a tradition in the Greek tradition of, re it's called anagoge, um, to rise above, anagoge to, to sort of transcend. And it's the philosophers, you know, those who are ruminating over texts. So it has roots in, in our Judeo-Christian tradition, in the, uh, the Greek Hellenistic tradition of, of looking at a text um, and moving through sort of four movements. And again, it's very fundamental. So at first it's very mechanical, but we can't stay in the mechanics or else then uh, the machine takes us over and, and controls us. We have to let it be organic. So 
the, the four movements, which for me now um, are much more fluid, are, are the lexio, which is reading a text. So we start with a text and I try to use wisdom literature um, and it could be anything. And you can actually even use uh, visual art if people aren't um, into reading or, or looking at a text that way. I would imagine it could work with dance, but you'd have to have repetition because part of this exercise is about repetition. After lectio, which is the reading of the text, reading of the text, reading of the text three, four times and taking your time as you're reading it or looking at the painting. Then you move into meditatio, uh, meditation. So you then start ruminating over the text. You're, you're letting it to enter into your mind, into your soul, into your heart. Um, and there there's becomes a symbiosis between you and the, the words. And then you move into oratio. Oratio is, is Latin for prayer. And that's the conversation. That's where the conversation traditionally, uh, the three agents in this, the three persons in this would be the text, you, and God or the spirit. Um, and so this is when you would have a conversation with the spirit of God, with God. Um, I, I think uh, Carl Jung, who uh, was a, a, a student of Sigmund Freud, um, used some of this, but he saw this notion of the ego um, and of the true self and having a conversation with the true self. Um, then you move into contemplatio, it's the last stage, contemplatio, co contemplation. Um, and that's just enjoying what sort of discoveries, what has the spirit revealed to you? What does the text reveal to you? Uh, what have you learned about yourself? Uh, what, what from the text has jumped out to you? And then is it calling you to be more introspective or is it calling you to action? to move out. And so that's sort of the, the, the nuts and bolts of it. And so I found a, a very short text um, by uh, a, a Jesuit uh, from the last uh, century. Um, his name is Anthony DeMello. And he, he was a Jesuit, he was from India and he wrote uh, many spiritual books. This one book is called The Song of the Bird. And they're just little, um, little pericopes, little, little uh, uh, poems like of wisdom and that you can take and use those uh, for Lexio Divina. And this particular story or text is called The Salt Doll, The Salt Doll. So are we ready to give it a try? Yes. <laughs> so we try to get ourselves into a, a, a situation or, or a position in which our backs are straight. Um, we're paying attention to our breathing. Uh, we feel comfortable, but not too comfortable that you're falling asleep, but just so that you're attentive. It's sort of a, a, a posture of attentiveness, but also a posture of receptivity. So we're not, we're not ready to attack. This is not an analysis. We're not in grad school. It's a, it's a reception. It's a, a breathing in of the waters of the ocean. And I'm gonna do this three times. I'm gonna read it first fast, so the Lexi will be fast. And then I'll go a little slower. And then lastly, I'll, I'll read it even slower. 
And if there is a phrase, if there is a thought, if there is a word, stay with that. If there's some fruit that's emerging from this garden and it's beautiful, it's this is really juicy fruit, <laughs> then um, stick with it. A salt doll journeyed for thousands of miles and stopped on the edge of the sea. It was fascinated by this moving liquid mass, so unlike anything it had seen before. Come in and see, said the sea with a smile. So the doll waded in. The further it went in, the more it dissolved till there was only a pinch of it left. Before that last bit dissolved, the doll exclaimed in wonder, now I know what I am. What are you? said the salt doll to the sea. A salt doll journeyed for thousands of miles and stopped on the edge of the sea. It was fascinated by this moving liquid mass, so unlike anything it had seen before. Come in and see, said the sea with a smile. So the doll waded in. The further it went, the more it dissolved till there was only a pinch of it left. Before that last bit dissolved, the doll exclaimed in wonder, now I know what I am. What are you, said the salt doll to the sea. A salt doll journeyed for thousands of miles and stopped on the edge of the sea. It was fascinated by this moving liquid mass, so unlike anything it had seen before. Come in and see, said the sea with a smile. So the doll waded in. The further it went, the more it dissolved till there was only a pinch of it left. Before that last bit dissolved, the doll exclaimed in wonder, now I know what I am.
What are you? said the salt doll to the sea. Thank you. You're welcome. Sarah, do we... Thoughts, feelings, initially? Um, for me, <laughs> taking things with a grain of salt. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> Stand up tonight in Los Angeles. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, it just feels very, it felt relevant because um, I had a negative experience at work yesterday. And it popped up again today. And um, so for me, taking things with a grain of salt is, uh, that's a practice I struggle with. So um, maybe it's just at least today's reminder as I go about the day is like, how can I just receive information and then just allow it to dissolve? Take the mass on and dissolve until it's like a pinch a grain and it eventually just fades away. So Brittany. <laughs> I was I might have been choreographing in my brain, but I wasn't doing it on purpose. But there are a bunch of dancers and <laughs> there was one opposite this group. And so I guess this was the salt ball over here. And it was like this kind of uh, improv prompt where there's a lot of the same going on over here. And then there's this kind of eventual uh, becoming of one um, and exploring within each other. So I just, I don't know. I like the whole, our bodies are mostly water. And when we talk about fluid movement, um, so that's, that's the kind of literal literal way I took it and about kind of you know more than the we are one but pretty much that <laughs> I like but this yeah. approach to this is this is my personal approach to um I don't have the formal terminology of what I'm doing but my practice when I do have the space slash when I allow myself the space slash when I make space is I have a book on Sufism like um, with different poems that I will just like open to a page I read the page I then meditate on the thoughts and then I journal my response so and that and I, I so I I like this approach a lot it's just very um it's just very grounding. Yeah. And, and it's, yeah, it's a, a nice, really, yeah. It's a really foundational yeah. approach to just process information in general. Mm -hmm. So it's a way to slow down in a way that doesn't feel necessarily like slowing down. Yeah. And to stand, stand outside of ourselves or at least stand outside of our egos. Let ourself stand outside of our ego and look at our ego and say, okay. <laughs> That's not that's not the true self. The ego is not the true self. The true self is something beautiful, much more beautiful. Yes. Again, I don't know her. <laughs> <laughs> She's knocking well, on the door. She's knocking on the door. 
she who knows uh well scott we are just getting around our time together today but i wanted to thank you again for first off being an educator in general um it's not always easy in these teacher streets but we appreciate everyone that decides to come back um year after year and share and thank you for sharing uh beyond the community of just the the students that you work for and teach we really appreciate that well thank you for having me on Brittany and sarah i really appreciate it it was a lot of fun this was this was great grooving with you yes it was a good mindful groove for sure Ooh, thank you the cool <laughs> uncle <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh we are related <laughs> yeah oh by the, the way guys disclaimer <laughs> Disclaimer, this is my- Okay, we'll put, it in the, we'll, we'll put it in the show notes. We'll it's fine. In the show notes, it's fine. I'm related to no one in this in this group right now. So, you know, there's that. I was the, the mediating presence. <laughs> um, well, that's that's what we got today. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna sign off and thank you so much. Until All next right, time. thank you. Yeah, so hopefully next time we'll, we'll be able to, you know, do a Sarah coming home party and rage yeah. together again. One Shots day. all around. Shots and <laughs> all around. Yeah. Lulu can be the, the DD. <laughs> Absolutely. That would be funny. That would be classy. 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 All right. We did it. Mindful Grooving is an Agoon Artist Collective production hosted by Sarah Mislenka and Brittany Harlan. Theme song produced by Kenneth Leftridge, show engineered by Josh Luis. If you want to hang out with us after the show, follow us on Instagram at mindfulgrooving or head over to mindfulgrooving.com, see all the platforms we offer the pod on, and check out more Agoon Artist Productions. See you soon.